Support for our show comes solely from listeners like yourself. If you like what we're doing, help us by sharing the pod on social media and leaving us a five-star review, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Audible. Thanks again for listening, and without further ado, let's start the show. Okay, my name is Michael Gandalfo. I am the uh, um, Pinellas Technical College Clearwater Campus uh, High School recruiter. And I'm sticking with my union because my union is the is the voice, uh, uh, my voice, and uh, the voice of all the members and all instructional staff. And we will lose our contract if our union is not there. Welcome back to PCTA's Fire Podcast. As always, I am Brennan Pickett. I am your FEA Director and Fire Co-Chair. I am Philip Belcastro, uh, Director at Large for PCTA and also Fire Co-Chair. Hi, I am Emily Greist. I am the Fire Co-Chair uh, for HCTA, so Hillsborough Classroom Teachers Association. Uh, I also teach art and art history and Riverview High School. I am Nicole Teagarden, a Fire Co-Chair for HCTA and a second grade elementary English language arts teacher. Right on. And we're here to talk today about a couple different things that kind of face teachers as far as, and also what helps hurt the students, I think, you know, and it's the idea of this mentality that kind of permeates our culture, which is we do it for the kids, but also how it goes into class sizes and other angry things we kind of face here as teachers. (laughs) But I kind of want to start with our first talking point today, which is what is this do it for the kids mentality and why is it a harmful way for teachers to approach their profession? (laughs) So do it for the kids is an especially toxic way of training, I would say primarily elementary school teachers. It's a a teaching strategy that they start right off the bat in college for elementary. They kind of like love bomb teachers and expect them to feel so good about themselves that they just want to keep giving their all. And it trains you very early on to not set any boundaries for your personal life and your professional life. And when you start off your career that way, you expect to continue that for the rest of your career. And like two, three, four months into it, you're like, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. And then you can't. I feel like my first year of teaching very much resembles this, where I was staying till 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Mind Every you, day. At my school, we get out at one fifty, right? So I was staying until 5, grading papers. I do this to this day, actually. I get yeah. to school wicked early to grade papers. You do. I do teach English. It makes all of us look bad. You should stop. It, it also just drives me nuts. It also, <laughs> but I do it. I do it for the kids, right? I do it for oh, the kids. God. Well, it's not just we do it for the kids because if we don't do it, nobody else will. Like, and I've said this on the podcast before. Is like one of my best friends is an ER nurse. He doesn't have to go out and buy his own gloves. He doesn't have to come in on his day off and prep his workstations. He comes in. He does his job takes off his gloves and goes home. Like we're one of the only professions that it, it literally just doesn't function unless you do a ton of off the clock stuff. This is a bad mentality. Yes Always? and no. You have to find the things that you're really passionate about and the things that are meaningful to your day to day life and like focus your extra energy there. Like the stuff that you have to do versus the stuff that you want to do. Like, is this part of my job or is this just to like make my classroom look cute? 
do I need to put all of my worksheets in this cute font? Or can I save, you know, five minutes here and there with formatting and just print it out? Even if it is in Comic Sans. Oh, no. That's, we need to... I have to leave. Goodbye. <laughs> my, my poor wife is a victim of this, I believe. Cause I am, too. She's very much of making your classroom very cute and Same. pretty. And, you I know. feel that in yeah. my soul. Does she use Comic Sans? Uh, no, that's me. I'm the Comic Absolutely Sans guy. Not. Yeah. <laughs> That's oh, that's just offensive. I just troll my kids all the time. Do you put in Papyrus, the Avatar font? <laughs> the oh stock Microsoft font <laughs> that Avatar uses? What I keep hearing from this conversation, though, is basically we want to do it for the kids. We want to make sure that these kids have what they need, but why can't the districts just pay us to do this kind of stuff or give us the ways to do it? Because they know we're going to do it either way. <laughs> Because we're yeah. suck-ups, we're pushovers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, as as you said, at colleges, that's how they're teaching it, right? How many hours are you putting in extra? I know for an art teacher, I put in so many extra hours putting kids into shows, writing them up for competitions, then going to those openings and all that stuff. And even as someone that's aware of how harmful that phrase can be, sometimes the other art teacher like, oh, they didn't show up to the gallery opening, hmm? Mm. <laughs> Yeah, you're trained very early on to, like, am I the first one here? Am I the last one on campus? If you leave at contract time, oh, bad teacher. I think a lot about my particular class. I teach AP language and composition. So they, the exam, the final exam they have to pass in order to get the college credit is there are three essays and a multiple choice test. So I have to teach them how to write these three essays the problem is I have to find the time to actually review these essays and tell them that they're doing them right or wrong. So what happens is, and this is why I get to school every day at 6 a.m. I do. I do this. Um, I do this every single day. I grade about 10 essays in the morning every single day because I'll assign something. And I have to do about three essays a quarter because yeah. there are three different types of essays. And I do it just so if they do pass the magical way they pass and I get 50 bucks for an AP credit. So I do the math. I think I make about $3 extra. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm bad at math too, but it's not a whole lot of money. <laughs> and I still do it. I, I don't know why I can't stop. I don't know. I don't know either. It's for the kids. It's for the kids. <laughs> and they don't really give us enough time to make our day go round. Like all yeah. the extra prep that it takes to set up art projects, to clean up after kids, even though high school kids should know how to clean up after themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to my art kids that just killed about 20 brushes this week. <laughs> um, but it's so much extra prep that if you don't do it, your world does not spin the easiest way possible. I bet that's even more so as like an art teacher specifically, like all the, all the glue and paint and brushes and clay and all, all the crayons stuff. that she loves so all, much. All the oh, there's no crayons, crayons in my high school art room. <laughs> <laughs> Please believe that. But even before I was teaching AP Lang, I was getting to school still 40 minutes early, an hour early. Cause I have to start my day up. Like, am I going to either, this is the, 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 the duality of it. Am I going to stay after school an hour in plan or may I come in early in plan? Cause I'll tell you right now, the 40 minutes I get in the middle of the day doesn't cut it. And sometimes my brain just turns off. Right? right. It's hard for me to focus just in 40 minutes to get everything I need to get done for the next day or a week. Yeah. Right. It makes no sense at all. And they don't give me extra time to actually do this or my favorite thing. And you love this too. <laughs> Instead of having a day where we plan. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We get a day to do what? Training. Trainings. Trainings and meetings. Oh, meetings God. and trainings. So, yeah. So it's all 
Mickey Mouse, I guess is the way to say it. I don't know. Well, I, I thought it was really interesting. You guys both said about this like culture of having it ingrained of like, am I the last one here? Am I the first one at this show or whatever? Um, does that make me some kind of sociopath? Because I don't feel bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> I also do not feel bad about being late all the time, but <laughs> I know there is a lot of judgment. <laughs> I see. I maybe uh, I just immune to it because I've had so many jobs. But like, I mean, I when I do stuff for the kids, it, it is genuinely because I want to be there. And like I said, there's a certain amount of prep that if I don't do it, it just doesn't happen. I mean, and it has happened a couple. It actually happened this quarter where I just kind of ran out of time for stuff, and I told the kids I was like, listen. Good luck. It's your lucky day. Uh, everybody has now an extension of a week to do the thing because I'm just I just didn't have time to do it. Like so, I didn't have time to, to grade the assignments or to build the next one. Everybody just got an extra week to do something, but it was just because I didn't have time to plan it. So I know that there are certain things, Ben, and I do try to go to as many performances and shows and games and stuff that I can. But I also know that Emily, you are a swim coach as well, um, and lots of teachers do additional things. I choose to do nothing extra <laughs> because I would not. <laughs> function as a person or well in my job if I was like oh I gotta run to this meet I gotta run to this uh, you know this practice or whatever I would just collapse I just do not have it in me but you have to have people do these extra jobs or else the school Absolutely. doesn't function. Yeah, right. Like, I'm the 3DE lead teacher at my school, not by choice. It's because right. someone came to me and begged me, and I said, right. fine. <laughs> I'll do I thought it. you were going to say a different F word. I said, <laughs> I just said, fine. No. And now I'm doing it, and it's only for 1500 extra bucks, but right. I have to plan PLCs now. I have to. Yeah. Do you guys get money for doing extra stuff? Oh, yeah. I forgot we're talking to Hillsborough. What? What else? Hillsborough. <laughs> They work for free. Work yeah. for free. Yeah, you guys have. Uh, even got I'm paid sorry. For I get seventy five cents an hour to coach swim. I don't oh, know whoa. what you're talking about. <laughs> and you have to dive to the bottom of the pool to get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's another thing that I've noticed um, since like getting more involved in HCTA, working with a lot of middle and high school teachers. You guys get so many more opportunities to earn money. Elementary school teachers, like the extra clubs, the extra stuff we teach, the extra like. Grants we write, programs we create, we don't get paid anything for it. Mm-mm. Like nothing. Not even thoughts and prayers. Not even <laughs> thoughts and prayers. <laughs> I can't even get people to sign up for PTA. Like, uh, gosh, yeah. thoughts and prayers. You are listening to PCTA's Fired Podcast. I'm here today with Philip El Castro, Emily Greist, and Nicole Teagarden. We're doing an across the bay kind of collab today. Um, we got Pinellas and Hillsborough, so the Tampa Bay is here, right? The real Tampa Bay, not those Pasco people or no. Manatee people. <laughs> I do live in Pasco, no hate. <laughs> oh, full hate for Pasco. My wife teaches there. All Pasco, hate. if you're listening. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Emily, if you're listening, I hate your district. <laughs> My wife, Emily. Uh, <laughs> other, other Emily who's here right now are you listening <laughs> no. I wouldn't <laughs> so moving on we have this idea that we do it for the kids but then we have this other thing where we just get kind of bombarded with more and more and more kids so we've already kind of established we don't have time mm-hmm. um, we spend a lot of our time outside of the classroom doing things for the kids so the class size amendment it is a law here in Florida right um, how does the state, district, and administration's actions in circumventing or exploiting this law add to the complexity of the teacher's job? Now, I have the actual classroom size amendment right here. It was written in 2002, and it was approved by the citizens as an amendment to the Florida Constitution that sets a limit on the number of students in core classes. This is math, English, science, etc. This does not include, since we have an art teacher here, the arts. 
So beginning with the 2010-2011 school year, the maximum number of students in each core class would be, and here we go, 18 students in pre-kindergarten through third grade. LOL. <laughs> 22 students in grades 4 to 8. And this is my favorite, Philip. Ready for this? I'm ready. 25 students in grades 9 to 12. Whoa. <laughs> imagine. I have never had all my classes under 25 imagine, in six years. Imagine having less than 35 students in schoolhouse rooms that were built 100 years ago. Oh, yeah. We work at St. High, which was built in the 20s. Yeah. It was, it's, <laughs> it's a much smaller room for fewer and smaller children. <laughs> There's less people back then, too, I think. Plenty of my students are over six feet tall. I am only 5'9". I think we should start with the elementary perspective here. How does your school circumvent the law? Because every school does it. How does your school do it? I am very fortunate to have admin that advocates for lower class sizes. Each year at the beginning of the year, around a month into school, we get a unit like recount almost. It changes either the fifth day count or the 20 day count. Based on how many students are actually present at the school, they readjust the number of units allotted per campus. Now it says 18 or 22 in elementary, but what they don't tell you is the way they circumvent that. It's not just at my school, it's countywide and probably in all counties in Florida. It's an average. So they will look at kindergarten, first, second, and third grade and say, okay, on average, how many kids are in each class? Kindergarten could be sitting at like 12 kids per class, but if first grade is at 23 kids per class, that's still about an average of 18. They do so the same thing in high fine. school. They do the same thing in high school, especially with English classes. So they'll have maybe English 3. Well, back when we had English 3. They would fill that up with 30 or so kids. But then, you know, English 1, oh, you would have a class of maybe 18, a class of 15 in English 1, right? But English 3 would be skyrocketing out there, right? right? I think it's really interesting to talk about how we're not even core teachers anymore, according to the law, because yeah. I teach AP, Philip teaches ACE. So because of this, and by the way, these kids need these credits to graduate with English credits, right? Because we only offer these courses anymore. We don't offer English 3 or 4 in my, my school anymore. Because of this, we are considered elective, so they just pile the right. kids in. They just dump them in. So it's, it's a required elective at this point. These kids, which by the way, these kids did not sign up for ACE and AP. They were put into ACE and AP because those are the only classes left. We'll have classes of uh, 35. I started the year with a class of 38 in AP. Um, I don't have that many desks in my room, nor is my room big enough for, for that many desks. For that many desks. <laughs> One of my old tactics was to have folding chairs and to say, here you go, here's your folding chair, bud. Yeah. Call your parents. <laughs> <laughs> what is it like in the art classrooms? So I do have a bigger classroom than most people on campus uh -huh. because you kind of need some space to do art. But I have these tables that fit four students a table. I have, I think, 36 seats in my room this year. Uh, when I started, my biggest class was 45. Oh, my gosh. Um, and I was just going down to guidance every day, and I was like, hey, I don't got desks. Uh, where am I supposed to put these children? Uh, at one point, I was told uh, that they can draw on the floor, and then I got real mad. Yeah. Um, brought that up at a school board meeting. Oh like, my this God. is not okay. And then I got a wonderful talking to to my principal afterwards. He's like, yeah, we could fit more desks in here if we tried. Like, no, I cannot have... I think at that point I had 215 kids on my roster. Oh my 
uh, because every single one of my classes is either 35 or 36 kids right now. Yikes. There was a teacher at a school board meeting a few months ago that spoke about that situation, that with that many desks and that many students in their room, with the mandated, like, lockdown drills and like blind corner drills right. you can't even fit the kids right. like in their safety spots like, what are you supposed to do you've put us in this situation where we have to have this many kids to accommodate the entire you know school roster but mm-hmm. then are we still able to keep this many kids safe like there's not right. sufficient space there's this old joke in our school at st pete high where they used to have a sign on the wall saying Cannot exceed twenty-two students. It used to be on the actual wall, and <laughs> just put tape over it. <laughs> yeah, they took down the signs. They're gone now. I've never seen them. They're <laughs> gone. Yeah, they, they renovated the school and took the signs over. I'm like, no. Yeah. Well, I, what you said about the um, the safety drills and all. There are other unintended consequences of these uh, class sizes that people don't fully realize. What you mentioned about the unit counts. So if, if, if these districts are looking and say, oh, well, Pickett and Bill Castro can fit 35 kids in their classrooms and teach them, that means we can cut an English teacher next year. So, so they're in our school, it's kind of working in the inverse where they're saying, well, these teachers are doing okay with these excessive class sizes. Why don't we just get rid of one and get them off the payroll? Yeah, if you're good at your job, you get someone else's job too. Exactly. <laughs> but oopsie poopsie, we can't have actually 50 kids in the classroom. So when the school year starts, we're going to race to hire a new teacher. But wait a minute, there's no teachers. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll have empty classrooms for about right. a few months. And here we are today. We still have two uh, two math teachers, I believe, in my sc- at our school. Over, don't we? we? Open positions? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We've had a position at my school that hasn't had a math teacher all year. Yeah, my students routinely say that because, uh, you know, I'll ask them, you know, you know what's, what's going on? They say, oh, I'm studying for a math test. I'm like, well, how do you feel about it? Terrible. We haven't had a math teacher all year. Um, there's been one social studies position that I think has had four or five teachers this year. They cannot keep somebody in that room because they just keep just quitting. And we had a social studies teacher before the school year ended, and we they did. got rid of her. That's right. They did wow. get rid of her. They and she wanted unit. to be there. She was an alumni of the school. And um, she was filling the, the, the seat of her previous um, history teacher, who the school adored. So she was like his protege. And the school said, bye-bye. We don't need you. We won't need you next year. No and now that, room, now that room has had a rotating cast of teachers all year long. Do it for the kids. Do it for the kids, <laughs> man. Hey, what makes so many kids so hard to teach? Like, come on. You can't do 45? <laughs> give, them, give them some crayons. Put them yeah. on the floor. Yeah. Ask those kids how they feel about their, their upcoming AP exams, too, by the way having never had a real teacher in the room. Yeah. So, so what makes it so hard? I mean, I feel like people listening just maybe not even understand. Like, what, what is the big deal? What's the BFD? So a big deal in my room is that kids actually need space to be able to create artwork. Um, the paper, it's not like we're just working on 8.5 by 11 sheets of paper. I got kids that are painting on canvases that are 16 by 20. I have one girl that really, really loves big canvases, so she brings in this giant hunk of wood and works on that all day. So we actually need space to be able to do what we're supposed to be doing for to let the kids experiment with materials and let the kids actually learn about art. Um, I'm not one that believes that they learn about art through testing. So I believe they learn through doing. We need to have space to do that. But if you're cramming 45 kids into my room, I got kids hanging from the ceiling like bats. They're not going to be able to do that. In elementary school, they pick up on herd mentality very quickly. Uh So if they see one kid acting crazy and the teacher's getting stressed out with one kid causing chaos, if four kids are causing chaos, then you're completely overwhelmed and nothing productive is happening. That might drive someone to quit the job, don't you think? Definitely. (laughs) 
So why haven't you quit yet? What is what is you keeping you here? Um, I'm here purely out of spite. <laughs> <laughs> You and Philip have a lot in common. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I will not let these leaders these leaders outlive me. <laughs> I mean, just thinking back about us because we're English people. I mean, think about it. If I have to teach 180 kids, that's 180 essays. And if I'm doing something mm-hmm. like AP language, that is times three every quarter yeah. until I eventually jump off the third floor of the building. Oh, <laughs> well. Back to the conversation about grading papers and all that and just these class sizes, right? Um, my my most recent assignment, I have about 187 students or so. And when you talk about these classes being now electives that kids did not choose to be in, um, I assigned about 187 essays and I received back like 90. More than half of my students just not turning in major assignments because they do not want to be there in the first place. And how are you going to track down 90 plus assignments? Oh, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I I will not. So uh, guidance and all of our admins are very fully aware, and I've been ringing this alarm bell all year, that about 40% of my entire roster does they are not ready for this course. They do not want to be there. They are not producing work. And it's not that they can't do it. They're just choosing willfully to not do it because they, they don't want to be in a college course. And if they had actual one-on-one instruction, perhaps, where the teacher could actually interact and communicate with these children right. in a way where they're not surrounded time by 30 other... Time to talk to them. Time to talk right. to them, right? Maybe these kids could be college ready. Maybe. And, and uh, we yeah. have the same issue in like art selectives. I've got so many kids in my 2D Studio Art 1 and my photography class that were like, I never signed up for this. Uh, they were just kind of dumped into my classes. I actually did have someone refer to the arts classes as a dumping ground one time oh my to God. my it's a common face. Term. It's a common yeah. term. Yeah, to my face, where I'm like, listen. <laughs> that was an admin that said that? Uh, guidance counselor. Nice. She was like, oh, you know the arts are just a dumping ground. Yep. And I was like, I'm going to step away before I get real mean. Um, yeah. But I'll show you the how... dumping ground out in the, the Jersey Pinelands. Yeah, right? Back in the Pineys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Pine Barrens. That's a real dumping ground you're about to find out about. You're listening to PCTA's Fire Podcast. I'm Brendan Pickett here with my friends Philip, Emily, and Nicole. We're talking now, and we're going to channel this into, well, we're angry, it sounds like. Of course, we're <laughs> laughing and having a good old time. But there is an appropriate call to action here for all of our union members, statewide, national. What are the physical and mental consequences of the frustration and stress that results from the lack of action by the state? such as large class sizes, of course, and how can unions such as HCTA, PCTA, use this to channel productive organizing techniques? So, um, Nicole and Emily, you guys were kind of telling me about uh, this speaker you heard of at a FIRE meeting. Can you elaborate? Yeah, so last weekend we went to a conference called Winter Leadership, and it was a statewide conference. This one was for the southern region of Florida. We took this really cool course called The Righteous Power of Anger. So um, it was a an organizer from NEA, I believe, who works with the, sub, the south of the country. So the deep south, right to work state. So he's very familiar with how to organize and get people fired up in in the situations that we're in. Like, we know we don't have to be part of the union, but we also know everybody's angry about something. So the organizing technique that he started the whole training with was asking, what are you angry about? Elementary school teachers get this this reputation of being so nice and we're so friendly and we're so cute and cuddly. Miss Frizzle. Yeah, but we're actually angry. Like, we... <laughs> 
that silent rage. <laughs> so like finding that when you ask someone that you really learn about someone's passion and you can channel that anger into a productive means to an end, like find what they want to fight for and help them find a pathway with the union, with us to work towards making things better for ourselves and for the kids, do it for the kids and for other teachers too. Like we know this job isn't sustainable as is. So using that anger to find a better pathway it was a really cool way to look at it. And I think you told me that Foghorn Lakehorn came in and gave a speech to you guys. <laughs> this man. <laughs> this cute little old man with white hair, deep South accent, Southern accent, talking about his Baptist church. Oh my gosh. And talking about like the history of anger and like how the, the definition of the word anger has evolved and how... A profession like primarily taught by women, we are taught that being angry is ugly. Like being, mm. you, you suppress that, and when you suppress that, there's like so many impacts on your physical health, your mental well-being, like your whole life. And if you can help somebody learn to express that productively and get it off their chest and work towards making something better, it's powerful. Like. It's helpful. And I was telling you before the show, th this reminds me a lot of why I started this podcast with Philip, right? Because I was well, angry is one way to say it. I think I was also just completely defeated at one point when I heard about House Bill 1 and I heard about Senate Bill 256. Like, this legislation, this constant barrage, it, it made me want to channel it somewhere because I felt so helpless. And I kind of want to make this clear to all the listeners. Like, I don't want to be making this podcast. I actually really want to just, like, enjoy my weekend. It's spring break right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's spring break. But I'm here trying to, like, voice the concerns of teachers because I feel like this is do or die at this yeah. point. I will also make it clear that all of this equipment we're using is mine. It's very expensive. I do want to be making this podcast. <laughs> So what other ways could people be channeling their anger, perhaps? Uh, I know channeling mine into uh, my union has been very, very helpful for me. Uh, as someone from the Northeast, I don't hide my anger as well as others from the South do. Uh, yeah, they say border. Well, we go well, The history of anger begins now with Cain and Abel. <laughs> but uh, being able to work through the union and being able to have the confidence to go up and speak at school board meetings. Nicole and I went to one just last week. Um, yeah, we were one of we were two of three people who spoke, and you know, having the floor all to ourselves, they actually oh, wow. they actually listened, kind nice. of, kind of, as much as I ever do. <laughs> <laughs> Being able to channel it in some way where it didn't just feel like I was screaming into the void um, has given me kind of a new, and this is going to be awful, fire for the profession. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> um, it's kept me going. <laughs> <laughs> it's allowed me to keep going and feel like I do have something to fight for because for a long time I felt like I was just fighting by myself and like how do I make this profession better how do I make this sustainable and then uh, shout out to Val and LJ Val is our secretary treasurer and her wife LJ works at my school and they kind of pulled me into union work they're like this one's angry enough <laughs> you should probably direct it at something and you'd be surprised when you take a leadership role in trying to help people and how many people step out and like join you. I think about what me and Philip are doing at our school. We consistently have about six or seven teachers from our school come with us. We make it into like a, a date yeah. 
you know, and we yeah. go and we hang out. And on Fridays, we go out, we drink, we go to yep. Three Daughters. We, we have like a cohort. We were It's a support group. And frankly, the schools should be paying us to do this because we're keeping teachers in our schools. Yeah, they're more effective than any PLC we've ever been to. And they know this. Like, we routinely say this. Mr. Aziz is in the room again with us. He's a brand new teacher. He's fresh out of college. And, you know, he his room might also be empty this school year if, if it wasn't for just kind of the camaraderie and the support group that we've built, which the school doesn't really encourage. They don't enforce it, but they don't really do anything to, to, to really make that happen for That's us. That's interesting. My school is the opposite. Hmm. I work at an elementary school that has very little teacher turnover. Really? Yeah. I've been there for eight years. And, like, there are teachers who have been there since the school opened 20 years ago. Wow. Um, So, like, super dedicated. But then we kind of fall into the opposite trap of, like, we have to do more to earn our spot here. Mm. Like it's such a coveted position. So you have to do more and more. Mm. Like my first few years there immediately started burning out, like writing grants, building gardens, like getting these programs started being on PTA, like, and then you burn out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So at a school like mine where everybody, like nobody wants to leave, I'm trying to really like, okay, we're angry. What can we do? Like use that as Mm. the, are you angry enough? I will help you be angry right. enough. But um, we're going to end here. When we get back, we're going to do our Beast Awards. So stick around. Hey guys, it's Brennan. One of my goals moving into this podcast project was to have the voices of our listeners play an active role in sharing our message that Union's Public Schools, well, they're not going anywhere without a fight. And as we dive deeper into the themes of public education, teachers' unions, and political activism, we want to hear from you, our listeners. If you're a teacher, parent, even a member of the community, we extend an open invitation for you to send us a voice recording with your name, occupation, and why you're sticking with the union during these politically turbulent times. We love to play these recordings at the beginning of our episodes and share your thoughts with our listeners. You can send these recordings to PCTA Fire, that's F Y R E pod at gmail.com. Additionally, we encourage you to write to your representative and advocate for teachers' unions and public education. You can easily locate your representative by visiting www.myfloridahouse.gov forward slash find your representative. Your voice can make a difference in supporting education and the future of our students. So take a moment to send us a voice clip and write to your representative. Let's work together to positively impact education for all. Hello there. If you support the podcast, you can now donate directly to us from the link in the description. You can donate 99 cents, $4.99, or $9.99 monthly. Your donation can help get me, Aziz, off the streets. Well, unfortunately, Aziz will always be on the streets. He yearns for the streets. But your support will go towards producing high-quality episodes just like the one you're listening to right now. Your support helps us keep gas in the tank, food on our tables, and our classrooms full of pencils and paper. We all know edumacators all over America undervalued and underpaid. Help us. Mooks like me continue to bring recognition and a voice to education professionals.
And we're back. Um, we're going to do our base awards now. And just for a reminder for all our listeners, the base award is something that is either agreeable or highly respectable. <laughs> for example, you could say, yeah, that's pretty based. Or you could say, that's pretty based. <laughs> now, um, I think we should have our guests go first. Maybe, Emily, you want to go first here? Sure. So my based award has a bit of a story attached to it. It is about one of my students, but there's a little bit of backstory involved. So on Tuesday, Nicole and I went to a school board meeting. We were one of uh, three people speaking during our staff comment time. Good old Addison Davis was there. That is our superintendent. He had to listen to me go on about how Ron DeSantis banning uh, AP African American history could have widespread consequences to AP studio art based on some of my students' uh, sustained investigations about being black in America and asking questions and things like that. And then two days later, uh, I was at an art award ceremony for my scholastic arts and writing competition. Uh, I had six kids win awards, which was very exciting, and one of them was an American Visions nominee. So she got to sit up on stage. This is a student I've known for many, many years. So Uh, she knows Emily's chaos. Yeah, she does. Very well. (laughs) Uh, Probably too well. But yeah, I've been around for four years. Uh, So I'm standing there with a bunch of art teachers, and Addison Davis walks up. And I immediately am just scowling uh, because I have a very expressive face and I'm not good at hiding anything. So my district uh, resource teacher starts talking to Addison Davis about me and is like, oh, have you met uh, Emily Greist? She is one of our best high school art teachers. She has a 100% pass rate in AP Studio. She's on our art steering committee. She has like six kids in this thing, and it's one of the most out of any of the high schools that aren't the arts magnet high school. She's going on and on about how wonderful I am to this man that I yelled at on Tuesday night. Uh, Then, to add salt to that wound, uh, because Davis is very used to seeing both me and Nicole at school board meetings, uh, my student gets up there, my American Vision student, which means that she's one of the top five art kids in the whole county. They're supposed to say their name, their school, what awards they won, and sit down. My little gremlin launches into, you know, and I really need to thank my teacher, and not just my teacher, my mentor, Miss Christ. I don't know where I'd be without her, and just all in front of good old Addison Davis, who I kind of yell at every other week. <laughs> that is incredibly basic. I think what we need basic. to do is when you record Ramsey's voice after this, and has have him give like different levels of how based things are, and I can, I can plug in those clips. That'd be oh, he's, he's, he's cackling right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can plug in these clips. We should have to do that. I'm, I'm yeah. do, we're doing it right after this. Right. <laughs> when we end the base board, we're going to do that, and it's going to happen. So maybe... That's pretty based. There. I, okay. I, I'm, I'm terrified of the amount of editing this is going to require. No, don't worry, I'll do it for you, babe. <laughs> All right. Do it for the kids. Nicole. Yeah, do it for the kids. So my based award is also directly related to Addison Davis. <laughs> All right. This, this man this is infamous in, in Hillsborough County. It, we are the seventh largest county in the whole United States. Whoa. So he has a lot of power. Um, people are very scared to approach, to talk. Anything that has to do with Addison Davis, like people stay away from. Was he a Rick Scott plant? Probably. DeSantis. DeSantis, DeSantis plant. plant. Oh. He came in 2020 to okay. try and corral one of the largest districts in the country, and he's not doing district. a great job at it. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So when I started this school year, 
my single goal was to have him know my face and name. And I've achieved that goal. <laughs> so I've been to a ton of school board meetings where we yell at, you know, whatever. Respectfully yell. Not, not actually yell. So he, he knows me from there. One of my first speeches, I talked about how my whole family has worked in Hillsborough County. Like, my parents started and ended their careers from Hillsborough County. My sister is my partner teacher. My husband works at another elementary school. Our children are going to be in Hillsborough County. And my goal was to not let him scare me or, like, outlast me. And going to so, so many school board meetings, he obviously started recognizing me because I'm loud. But then also, like, they're redoing boundaries for elementary schools, going to those meetings and, you know, telling him all the problems that that's creating, saving my school from the boundary analysis, chaos. That was a big thing. And then after this last school board meeting we went to, I emailed him on Wednesday. Hey, hey, Mr. Davis, I can't wait to be on your superintendent teacher action committee next year. I'm looking forward to that application. (laughs) I want to be there. Extremely based. You get cringe if we keep saying that. <laughs> All right. We've lost the Zoomer crowd. I'm going to do mine. Um, so my base award is something that happened at school that we did for the kids. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, I'm part of this 3DE thing, and it's new, and I've been dealing with the same kids that have been in cohort for three years, and now they're juniors, and I've taught some of these kids for three years straight, so I mean, some of these people are my sons and daughters at this point, I feel like. Um, so they did this thing called a market day where this whole year they've been building a business plan where they kind of start and they try to address a need of the community and they prepare a presentation and sometimes they even make products. So some kids made, um, I think I'm wearing, yeah, they made little I got one too. wristbands for suicide awareness. Um, some of the other ones, um, one of them made a, a I'm not going to say it cause someone offered a lot of money for it actually. Like these business people come to this thing and they're like, this is a good idea. I'm going to pay you for this. And it's like, Whoa. So. I went to it and I was incredibly impressed. And I told so many kids I was so proud of them. Like they put so much work into it, and it was just kind of cool to see them come together and put something in, put work into something that they care about. I guess is a good way to say it. Yeah, I think the group that won that competition was four of my previous students, and they were approached by business people about their idea. It was pretty cool. Yeah, we're not gonna say what the business. Yeah, we can tell you what it was off air, but we don't want to give it away. Yeah, not giving away. All right. Is it my turn? Yeah, Felipe. Mine is not about Addison Davis, sadly. (laughs) (laughs) Although, Nicole, we we share a similar goal. I want Ronald DeSantis himself (laughs) to say my name out loud. I want him to specifically, you know, uh, address me during a press conference. If you manifest it. It's it's on my vision wall. It's just one image. (laughs) (laughs) A speech bubble with Comic Sans, and it says... Philip Bel Castro. So, um, so Ronald, if you're listening, let's let's meet, let's hang out. Um, mine is my uh, my base award is about um, a current student. So uh, this year has been has been really really tough for me. Uh, I guess for whatever reason, just a much better rapport with previous year's students. Um, like I said, but a lot of my my students this year, like they don't hang out in the room after lunch. They're they're just like not interested. I mean, all this podcast stuff here was originally in my classroom. I was doing it for the kids. For the kids. <laughs> doing it for the kids. Um, some kids were like, "We should do a podcast," and I was like, "Good, let's let's do it." So I brought all this stuff in. My my base award goes to one of my current students who made me a really really excellent art piece. Uh, Emily, you you'll appreciate this. Um, this particular student has been working with like rubber stamps. Um, so they, they kind of carved out, you know, a piece of rubber. I've never done it myself. I've seen it done. I'm, you, I'm probably sounding like an idiot to you right now. It's lino cutting. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> 
So then the rubber and then the paint, and it does a pretty. Like, so, so, um, but this particular student, uh, right up my alley, um, super like into cool, like dark and macabre things. So this line, lino cutting, is that what it's called? Lino cut is of like embalming tools. So it's all, it's all these images of um, like sauce, and oh pliers and scrapers and all this kind of stuff. And they were really, really proud of it. And they're like, oh, Bill Castro, I made you something. And I was very touched because a lot of my students don't hang out with me and don't, like, kind of give me these little knick-knacky things, you know, like it has been in previous years. So I love it. It's crazy. It's creepy. And I was like, immediately, I hung it up on the wall. I was like, this is the best thing that has happened all year. So my base award goes to that particular student who, who if they're listening, they know who they are. Um, and I love my lino cut of embalming tools that is proudly displayed behind me and my desk. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> if you're listening to this, you are utterly based. And I guess with that, we're going to take off. So thanks again for listening to PCTA's Fire Podcast. As always, I'm Brennan. I'm Philip. Emily. I'm Nicole. Thank you, and have a base day. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, we would like to remind our listeners about important school board meetings taking place on March 21st and April 11th at 10am, as well as a 5pm meeting on April 25th. Remember, it's vital for teachers, parents, and community members to attend these meetings and advocate for public education. Your voice and presence can play a significant role in shaping the future of education and improving the lives of students in our community. We want to give a special thank you to Philip Belcastro for providing our theme music and Artifact for adding some great tracks into our intermissions. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Artifact's music at artifactjoints.bandcamp.com. We also want to express our gratitude to Radio St. Pete for airing our podcast, Jamie Beck, Brian Balton, Carla Correa, and Nancy Filardi, as well as all of our supporters in the education community. Your support and dedication has been instrumental to getting the word out and reaching new listeners. Well, that's all for today. I'm Brennan Pickett. You guys have a great day.